the video introduction we looked at lays bare the book of Judges and the characters that we encounter through that book. Indeed, Israel failed to keep God's commandment. They can't say we didn't know about it, because we've read from Exodus and Deuteronomy what God said about calling other idols and that he was the jealous God. The book of Judges was written, according to Jewish scholars, probably by Samuel as a prelude to the books of Kings. First we saw and then of course King David. Most of the book is narrative apart from chapter 5 which is a poem, a victory poem written about Deborah's victory. There are seven judges that are covered in this book and the book, oh, sorry the video explains that none of them were particularly godly characters. They weren't nice people. And depending on the scholar you, you, talk to, you talk to or you read, the book of Judges covers a period of roughly 410 years. However, each story, as the video tells us, has basically the same plot, apostasy, servitude, supplication, and salvation. Our first subject in the series is Deborah and Barak. And this story follows exactly the same pattern. I want to point out at this point in the sermon that although the book of Judges is among some of the oldest Old Testament writings, it is still pertinent to us today. The lessons that are learnt or should have been learnt by the Israelites need to also be learnt by us. So the book is historically accurate, and we can joke and think it would make a great Netflix, but it is also a warning to us in today's church. Deborah was regarded perhaps as being the most godly of all judges, and her story is the fourth one in the book, and it is the first of the extended narratives that are there. Chapter 4 starts, as we have read, with the people of Israel deep in apostasy. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So what was this evil that they did in the sight of the Lord? Earlier in chapter 2, it says, Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and worshipped the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods, from among the gods of the peoples who were all around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and Astartes. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the power of the enemies all around, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them. To bring misfortune as the Lord had warned them and sworn to them that they were in great distress. Before we, in the 21st century, judge the Israelis and think, gosh, they were really stupid. God's warned them, he brought them out of Egypt, he took them through the wilderness, and he presents them with this wonderful, rich land. And repeatedly, they turned away from him. Repeatedly. They went after other gods. 
We're told in Malachi, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The God who spoke to the children of Israel is the same God that speaks to us today. We are the children of God. We are God's people. Read what Peter says in his first letter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We've been set apart for God's purposes, not for ours. Therefore, as the people of God, we must be careful not to worship idols or deny the world of God. The Israelites were influenced by their neighbors, the Canaanites and the Midianites, etc. Today, we can be and are influenced by the society around us. We do this as individuals or corporately as the global church. Judges basically deals with the apostasy. I myself was at a service in a well-known abbey church. An ordained minister stood before us and he said, there is more than one way to God. So as you may imagine, he and I had a few words after the service. But this was an ordained clergyman denying the truth of Scripture. Is God pleased with the level of abuse that women and children can find in church? I don't think so. But perhaps more so, is he pleased with the lame response that the church might give to try and cover up that abuse? Christ's bride, us, should be a pure, spotless bride if we wait for the bridegroom. Yes, we're fallen sinners, we know that. But that is not an excuse for us, as a body of believers, to ignore what goes on in the global church. What follows apostasy is God allowing his people to come into servitude. Verse 2 says, So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harrogate. I'll go in. This is repeated through the book of Judges. In following which you'll hear the same story. Effectively. Following apostasy, God's people fall into and are conquered and oppressed by their neighbours. Here it was the Canaanite king Jabin and his army commander. We hear that Israel was oppressed for 20 years. It's a long time. And Sisera had 900 chariots of iron, a fearsome weapon. Most chariots are made of wood and were platforms to fight from with archers and spearmen. But these chariots of iron were more akin to a modern-day main battle tank, something the Israelis did not have in their army and they were fearful of. 
Now, we may not live under that kind of oppression here in the United Kingdom, but we live in a society that has fallen far from God. Definition of human sexuality and marriage has changed. Christians lose their jobs for standing for the truth, for teaching our children the truth. Church going has become unpopular. What is good is now called evil, and what is evil is now called good. Many countries, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, will get you killed or maimed. But in all of this darkness that we see around us, there is salvation at the hand of our king. Over and over again, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God redeems his people. It seems that we cannot do anything that is so bad that God will turn his back on any of us. He never abandons his people. In this book, there is a continued cycle of doing evil in the sight of God, but each time God redeems his people. And the first step in this redemption is repentance or supplication. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. The need for repentance today is as great as it was then, both individually and corporately as his church. He raised up Deborah, the prophetess, who was to judge Israel at that time to be the instrument that he used. The Lord raised up judges who delivered all of the Israelites out of the power of those who plundered them. Now, judges in that time were primarily in a temporary role, was to act as military leaders, as the video says, clan chieftain, if you like. Now, Deborah was unusual in one of the things you may notice. She was the only female amongst all of the male judges. But she was also regarded in Judaism as being one who was closer to God than any of the other judges. There were other prophetesses in the Bible, Anna, Hulda, Miriam. But Deborah functioned as a civil leader and as a judge who decided cases sitting under the palm of Deborah in the hill country of Ephraim. It states that the people of Israel came to her, which says she had power as a leader. She had power to call the army, to call the leaders to herself. She constantly pointed to God, not away from him, in words and deeds. Unlike the poor choices of the succeeding judges, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. She summoned Barak to command the Israelite army and to take on the Canaanite army under Sisera. She reminded him of God's call. The Lord God of Israel commands you, go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into his hand. He doesn't say... If you're not too busy, would you mind getting an army to get them coming out? The Lord commanded him to do that. And the Lord also told him that he would give the enemy into his hands. But he was hesitant to go into the battle without Deborah's presence, which was a discredit to him. And Deborah 
as a woman, was not able to lead the army directly, so he needed to. He called an army, and if you read chapter 5, which is more of a poem about this, it goes into a bit more detail. Only six of the 12 tribes of Israel responded to his call. Naphtali and Zebulon, Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, and Issachar. And this was the nearest thing in the book of Judges that we see to an all-Israel army. Some of the tribes were missing, and they were spoken of in this way in the poem. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. Why did you tarry among the sheepfolds to hear the piping for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there was a great searching of heart. Gilead stayed behind beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he abide with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, settling down in his land. Why is that an issue for us today? We are called corporately to defend the gospel. We're told how to defend the gospel and when to defend the gospel. We are told not to wait for others to do that. So many times when something needs to be done, we will sit still and think that Barry's job. Or somebody else's. No, it's our job. God has equipped us already to do those. So we don't want to be like the six tribes that didn't go. We want to be like the six tribes that did go. Barak did fight the Canaanites at Mount Tabor, and he was victorious. Those iron chariots apparently got mired in the river Kishon, which was at the foot, uh, the foot of Mount Tabor. But Barak, because he wanted the presence of Deborah to ensure victory, showed a lack of trust in God's commandment. Didn't believe it. Didn't think he was good enough. Didn't think he was close enough to God. That sound familiar? Many times we are put in a situation by the Lord and we think, I can't do this because it's out of my comfort zone. It's difficult. But God has already equipped us to do that. He will give us the words if we will only trust him. Cicero, as we did, fled the battle after seeing things weren't going too well, and he ran into the tent or jail. He felt safe in there because her husband had a good relationship between Hazor and the Canaan. But while he was comfortable and at ease and asleep, she drove a tent pick through the tent. Now I know I don't like camping in this. This just makes it even more certain. But this fulfilled what Deborah had said to him, that he would not get any glory from this because he had not obeyed the Lord. After this battle, the land of Israel had rest for 40 years before the people repeated the cycle when they did evil in the sight of the Lord again, and this time he gave them over to the Midianites for seven years. The book of Judges is a wonderful example of God's redemption and forgiveness towards his people. In spite of our waywardness and our continued sinning. And we look at this and it's very easy to say, well, they told them what was going to happen, and yet they still did it. 
We would never do that, would we? Ever. There is a judgment from God which leads to servitude. And therefore, there is a need to repent. But if we do call on him, he always hears us and acts. He raises up help from very unexpected places and from, and this is importantly, very ordinary fallen people. We're not sitting, waiting in a bad situation for St. George to come running down the road on his horse. Or a very saintly person. Nine times out of ten, he wants you to do something. We are the people of God. And yes, we do do evil in the sight of our God. There are church denominations that deny the sovereignty of Christ, even in our own day and age. He was a good man. He was a good preacher. Was he really the son of God? Did he really do all those miracles? Some of our churches have become liberal and seek to make themselves relevant to society around them. We seek to change the world. How are the church going to fulfill that mission if all we do is allow society to dictate what we do? It's all about church growth. If we make ourselves relevant to what's around us, they'll come in. They'll see the same thing that they're used to. We are called, brothers and sisters, to stand apart. People, we want people to look at us and say, why are you different? What have you got that I haven't got? And how can I get that? Many churches and Christians will turn a blind eye to crimes like abortion, same-sex marriage, because it is just easier to fit in with the people around us. We don't want to give offense. We don't want to upset our neighbor or our children. And we compromise God's word and we acquiesce to what is evil. If you think about your family, your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, if you had been aborted, none of them would have ever It's not just the child that is aborted in the womb. It is every person who would have ever lived that would have come from that lineage. That's a scary thought. It's not just the lives of the unborn that are taken, but all those who would never have existed. And if you look at your family tree that comes from you, a bit from you, that is a really, really terrifying thought. Did we do anything to stop it? Do we complain about that? No. We, brothers and sisters, must be vigilant and sober-minded in order to fulfill the mission that this church has. And if we want to experience the kingdom of God in our own time and in the life of the church here, We have a most powerful God. There is nothing anywhere 
that can stand against God. If you try, you will lose. But he is a God that loves us so deeply that he forgives our sin. He continues to come to us. He continues to seek us. song we sung a couple of weeks ago, one of the lines is, the God who relentlessly pursues, and he does. He wants us. He wants companionship with us. But he wants us to stand for the truth as well. No matter how difficult that might be, or what the cost is. The book of Judges tells us that God will come for us. He is a redeeming God. He is a loving God. But he doesn't change. So it's not thinking that the God we have now is somehow warm and furry and nice and sits up in the clouds with a nice dispensing machine giving us ice cream to see us when we're going for a difficult place. No, he's a jealous God. He doesn't want us worshipping other idols. And idols come in many different shapes and forms. Football is a good one. Even our own children can become idols. We can drift away from God doing a hobby, which we think is perfectly harmless. If it draws you away from God, then it is not. Do we want to be the pure, spotless bride that he deserves and that he wants? We have a part to play in that. We know we fail many, many times, but it is in the trying that we learn and we grow up into the likeness of our Lord. Amen.